die, when death was arrested. In this life, we're all going to meet that end. But if we know Jesus Christ, that has, doesn't have to be the end. And for that, we are free. So free. Boys and girls, if you want to head downstairs, what, hold on, what you got there, Mr. Todd? He's got his backpack full of something. I don't know what's going on down there, but he's got a camo backpack. So if my boys and girls want to head down, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. While they're heading down, I'm going to kind of give you an update. Some of you parents will know this, but if you don't have a young child, you won't know this. Pastor Todd has started a little series uh, on Sunday mornings downstairs where he's doing a Bible story and he's incorporating a life lesson involved with it. And I think today they're going to be talking about finding direction and they have a compass and they're going to be doing some different things. So it's exciting to see um, you know, folks use their gifts and um, reach boys and girls for Christ. I'm so glad that you chose to be here with us. If you're watching online, we're glad that you joined us as well. If you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of Acts chapter 9. If you hadn't been here, you may wonder, okay, oh, we've been in Acts for quite a while. So we're going to be in there probably, you know, for a little bit longer. But we're going to take a little bit of a reverse and go back to a little nugget of the story that we didn't catch last week. And you'll remember that in this part of the series... We've, we're learning about what happened to the Apostle Paul, who was previously Saul. And we're taking a good bit of time because he's a major character. Outside of Jesus, he's probably the most important biblical character in the New Testament. It was his endeavors that, that you know, started much of the Christian church throughout the early world. And um, he also wrote quite a bit under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the New Testament. So he's an important figure, and we want to look at that. And we looked last week at his conversion. And you'll remember his conversion was dramatic. He was on his way to really persecute people in the church. A blinding light came upon him. A voice spoke to him from heaven. And he had a miraculous encounter with Jesus. And that drastically changed his life. All right, And we talked about some, something, some things about encountering Jesus. But we didn't look at the person that God used primarily in this encounter. And we're going to do that today. So in Acts chapter 9, we're going to go back and we're going to read chapters 10, verses 10 through 19. If you don't mind, stand with me real quick as we honor the public reading of the scriptures together. The Bible says, Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man named Saul from Tarsus. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him in a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up. And was baptized. You may be seated. May God bless the public reading of his word. So as we look at today's story, we find a few things happening. We're introduced, first off, to a believer from, Tar from Damascus named Ananias. Okay? And Ananias hears, hears from God. He has a vision 
we, we're left to presume possibly in a dream. We don't know, but he has a vision. We know it's from God. And in this particular vision, God speaks to him and he says, I need you to go and talk to this person, Saul. We know already that Ananias has heard about Saul and he's not heard good things. And it's definitely not some place that he wants to go or anything that he wants to do. And he lets God know that in this. I mean, so he's, he's presumably having a conversation in this vision, which is not unlike sometimes, you know how you can have a conversation in a dream? You can interact in a dream. And now we, we don't know all the details here, but this was a special dream. And so it's, it's a vision from God. And so there's this happening here. And Ananias says, I just didn't a good plan. Don't want to do it. Now let's don't do that. Offers up a whole lot of things we're going to talk about in a minute, but God says, what? Go anyway. I need you to go over there. And he gives him some details. He tells him exactly where to go, tells him who he's going to go see, and he even tells him why he's going to go over there because this person Saul is going to be mightily used in God's plan, and he's going to have to learn to suffer, and he tells him all that. So he goes, and when he does go, what happens? He goes over there. He introduces himself. He tells him why he's there. Little note there, Paul or Saul is doing what? He's praying right there as well. He's praying for, for somebody to come. Ananias comes, and whenever he prays for him, God moves. The scales immediately fall from his eyes. He's baptized. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. He regains his strength, and he goes from there. Now, very interesting little story. This little caveat that God gives us in the Bible as to who played a role in Saul's dramatic conversion. And there, there are a number of Bible truths that I think are universal that we can look at today. And we're going to look at five of them from today's passage because this is a very, very important thing for you and I. You see, when you see the first part of this passage, it just says there's a believer in Damascus named Ananias. Nothing special there's nothing special about Damascus. Damascus isn't the center of the Roman universe. It's not even the capital of anything particularly. And there's just an ordinary believer named Ananias. It's a very common name. There's many other people in the Bible who have that name. It's a common name. So we've got a common guy in a common place who's just a believer in Jesus. And we say, okay, I mean, could, it could have been an Ethiopian believer. It could have been a Samaritan believer. It could have been, um, you know, a, a believer from Jerusalem or Galilee or whatever. But no, in this particular moment, it happens to be this guy who's a believer in Damascus. And that's how life works, right? Because everybody's living their life where they are and God is interacting with them and you and everything. We, we tend to not realize how important we are in the story. But in our story, we're the most important character outside of God and Jesus. So this is something that's important for us. And so as we look at what happens in this person's life, I want us to think for a moment as how does this apply to me? I mean, how, how does the truth that we're going to see in the scriptures today apply to my life, to my story, all right? And so there's some things here that I think that we should look at. The first thing that I see that really we understand from this story that is universal is that we see that a God is really always working. And this is important to remember because we tend to negate that fact. When Jesus was here, 
He actually told us this in John chapter 5, verse 17. Some of you, if you've ever heard of the study Experiencing God or anything by Henry Blackaby, this is a foundational verse, and it's so true. It's that Jesus says, My Father is always working or always at His work, even to this very day, and I too am working. Now think about that. How does it change your life daily if you really live in awareness that God is working? God is working around you. He's working on the situations that you face. He's working on the external factors that are determining what's going on in your life. He's working on the internal factors, the struggles that you have. You have them, I have them. You know, the, the struggle to think right, the struggle to do right, the struggle to act right, to feel right, the struggle to whatever. God's working. He's doing His work. He's working even if you're not working. All right? He's always at work. Now, a question, a couple of questions that we might ask ourselves in relationship to this truth are very simple. I mean, God's always working. The Bible tells us that. When we pause a minute, we see and we notice His handiwork all around us. But really, we ask ourselves, am I working with God or against God? So when you think about God's work in the world, now, don't get lost in the big wide world, you know, somewhere out there on the news or somewhere in somebody else's life. In your world, your life, your family, your head, your job, are you working with him? Are you working against him? Or are you just like, I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> we should be working with him. Think about how much better the outcomes are if we work with him. We can't control outcomes, remember, because why? God's working, but there's endless other inputs to the equation that are variables that you don't control. Other people, other things. But guess what? If you'll work with God in your life, man, it gets a whole lot better, and it will actually work a lot better. So we ask ourselves, hey, in my life, am I working with him or am I working against him? We need to answer that. The second truth that I see in this particular passage that is universal, that bears some repeating today, is that God speaks to His people. So we see here that God speaks to this particular believer in Damascus named Ananias. All right? Because God, He needs something done. God wants something to be accomplished. And so what He does is He speaks to this person in a vision. There are people today that God speaks to in a vision. I hear them give testimony about powerful visions that they have that God spoke to them, all right? Oftentimes with me, God speaks to me as I what? I read the word and I, some, God kind of impresses something upon me. Maybe someone else is used to come and give me some information and speak God's word into my life, okay? But God has been speaking into people's lives from the very beginning. I mean, the whole thing started when he did what? Spoke. It said what? And God said, let there be light. I mean, you follow down through all the patriarchs, God speaks. You go to the prophets, God speaks. All the way through history, God is speaking things into existence. Now, it doesn't always literally mean spoken word, okay? It's because we, we know we're limited by time and space in our natural world. God speaking is willing things to happen. Sometimes it is literal speaking. Oftentimes it's not. Sometimes it's that still, small voice that you don't hear. Other times it's different things, it's circumstances, but he's speaking to his people. A couple of questions that I wrote down 
that I think are important here. The biblical narrative is overwhelming. God speaks to his people. Now, most of us, we're at a Christian church. We have been baptized as Christians, believers in Jesus. So we fall into the category of his people. So we ask ourselves this question. You know, are we listening? Are you listening to God speak? And maybe as important as that, do you expect something to happen when he says things? I mean, whenever, when God speaks to you and says, hey, you ought to do this, or something in a Bible study says, hey, you need to move in this direction, do you expect something to happen? Do you have the right expectations? You see, when God speaks throughout history, things happen. And you get to be a part of it, or sometimes you're not a part of it because you don't place yourself in line with what he's doing. But he does speak to his people. I would challenge you as I am challenging myself. Maybe we need to start listening more to what he's saying. And then when we hear him, have the expectation that he can deliver. Look how many people are discouraged, depressed, downtrodden because they won't receive the truth that God's trying to tell them. There's so many truths out there. I mean, just a simple one. I tell people all the time, the Bible says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Look, if God made you and he says you're important and, you're fan and, and, and there's so much about you that is unique and special, why wouldn't you listen to that instead of listening to what somebody on the TV or some other peer or something in society says that you're ugly, you're not good enough, this or that? I mean, you have a choice. Who are you listening to? You listening to the truth or are you listening to the other voices? And it comes really down to faith and expectation. And if we want to be victorious and we want to see things happen for God that are good for us, we got to listen to his voice. Number three, a universal truth that needs to be said here is this. God doesn't accept excuses when he speaks, okay? See, I don't know about you. Y'all's kids probably don't have excuses for, I mean, when you ask them to do something or you tell them they need to do something, I know they all jump right to it. My kids, they take after me, so they kind of always sometimes give excuses, right? But we all do that. Whenever we get information that we don't or we get told to do something we don't want to do, oftentimes we, we come up with excuses. And in this particular story, Ananias was no exception to this, right? So, so God speaks to Ananias. He knows it's God. All right? It's not like he doesn't know who it is. He knows it's God that's speaking to him in this particular vision. And look, after he's told to go find Saul, go down there where he's at, notice his reply. But Lord, his first reply whenever he, when God said, hey, Ananias, it was yes, Lord. But his second reply after he was told what to do was, but Lord, I don't know. See, a lot of people are there. I mean, as long as everything seems good, it's yes, Lord. But the minute it becomes something else, it's, oh, whoa, 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 but Lord, I don't know about that. And you start offering up all these excuses. And I want you to just look at, he says, but Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. And these are all natural responses. But they are excuses nonetheless. See, just excuses aren't, 
I mean, they're just a part of life. You look at all, they're maybe the negative side of things, okay? I want you to just look at me, look at this with me at some of these excuses that Ananias raises, and I want you to think about how these apply to all of us. Look, the first one basically is, hey, I mean, look what everybody's talking about. What will people say? I mean, how many people can't do what God wants them to do because they're worried about what other people would say? Or are they worried about, well, what would other people think if I do this or if I don't do that or if I... I mean, look, the Bible says that. I mean, he says, well, I mean, I've heard plenty of people talking about it. Look, the last thing you and I need to do is worry about what people are talking about. We need to be listening for what God is talking about. Listen, people talking about things will lead you in all sorts of different directions. Well, then we get to this. Look at it. It's what? Man, he's done terrible things. It's just too bad, too hard, too dangerous, too risky. I mean, how many people come up with those excuses to keep from doing what God wants them to do? It's just it's too bad. I mean, I couldn't talk to them about God. They're just too bad of a person. You don't know what they've done. Or even worse, you don't know what I've done. Some people can't receive and listen to God to give their life to Christ because they think they're too bad. I've done too many terrible things. You don't know what lurks within my mind. Well, listen, friend, you, you, nobody in here was standing over while somebody else was stoned to death. Nobody in here is that level of depraved murderer. Guess what? But you're not too bad and neither was he. No one is too bad to receive the grace of God. Some people won't do something because it's too risky. Oh, I don't know. And not only, it, it, what would they think about me? What would, what would they say about me? I mean, what could literally happen to me? I've heard missionaries talk about this. Any of you have heard the story of Jim Elliott? You know, Jim Elliott, who was this missionary who went to those, those people down, you know, in, in Southern Amer South America. And I mean, it was literal danger risk. He was killed. But, but decades later, God has brought many of the people to Christ. What if he would have said, oh, I don't, we can't go down there and share the gospel. It's just too risky. It's too dangerous. What if Jesus, whenever he was in the garden and he was praying and he was so stressed about it, the Bible says that blood was coming out of the pores of his head because he knew what was coming. What if Jesus would have said, guys, let's, let's go the other direction. It's just too dangerous. It's just too dangerous to go to Jerusalem tomorrow. It's just too risky. Man, it was dangerous. And it was extremely risky, and it cost him everything. But guess what? When you're obedient to God, and we're going to look at that, you always end up victorious. Doesn't mean you won't have some pain and some heartache and some suffering along the way. What does the Bible even say? Paul's fixing to find out about suffering. But he also is going to find out about victory. In our life, when God leads us, speaks to us to do something, do we make excuses? I can't do that because it's just it's too hard, too risky. I mean, the odds aren't, the odds aren't favorable. What are people going to think? All of these things. The risk resistance is just too strong. I mean, look what he says. I mean, he, he's authorized by the leading priest. There's just too many people against it. What excuses... Are you and I giving God? I mean, literally. Some won't give their life to Christ. They won't get baptized because they're afraid of what others would think. They're afraid of what it might mean to their life. There are some who won't give up a habit. 
who won't make a change, who won't go and do this, all because of these excuses that are real. I mean, don't think they're not completely made up. They're not contrived. All right, these are part of reality. But they're not the dominant part. They're not, they should not be the driving factor. The driving factor should be what? I realize that it might be hard. I realize that it might be dangerous. I realize that it might be risky. I realize that some people are going to say some negative things, and many people are going to think the wrong things. They're going to question my motivation. They're going to do all of this. But guess what? I'm not going to listen to them. I'm going to listen to him. Because God really doesn't accept excuses. He still loves us. But he's moving forward with his plan. Remember, he's always working. He's willing the right things to happen. And so he gives us opportunity to join him in this work. But then guess what? The plan doesn't stop because you or I fall back to excuses and say, I'm checking out for a while, which we all do, right? I mean, we all, our faith wavers. We delve off and we aren't doing everything we should. We aren't being everything that we should. Well, look, the plan doesn't stop. God's still working, willing, moving throughout others. Because why? He expects followers to obey. This, this is what a follower is, right? A follower. Followers do what? They follow, and that's what God expects from us. See, you, you, you didn't think really, maybe you're watching this and you're kind of new to this Christianity. You know, when you get to this, this reality of number four is, is God expects obedience. So like when you confessed your sins and you repented of those sins and you got baptized and you came up out of the water and you got new life and man, you got your eternity secure and you've got abundant life. Like there's a certain expectation. Like after that moment, now you're supposed to live for God. Like before, you just did whatever you wanted to do. You went wherever you wanted to go. You spent your money however you wanted to do it. You thought the way you wanted to do it. You just basically were your own person. And this is the way we all come out of our mother's womb, right? It's survival of the fittest. Look, you're fighting for your first breath. You're, it's, you know, in, in some places in the world, it's tougher than others. But look, when you choose... See, nobody coerced you. Nobody coerced me. Nobody took me by the arm and said, you're going to go up there and get baptized and you're going to become a follower of Christ. No. Look, my dad probably would have tried that if that was the way to work. It worked, but it doesn't work like that. You get to choose. And if you choose to be a follower of Christ, what are you saying? I'm going to follow. I'm going to now obey whenever I'm called. You know, whenever I encounter things that, this says I should do, and they don't feel like what I want to do. What, am I, what do I do? I try my bed level best to follow what I'm supposed to do. When I learn that there's different places I should go, different ways I should think, different ways I should act, guess what I do? If I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm going to try to follow in his footsteps. We have really shortchanged people whenever we just say, hey, come up here, get, just, just say a prayer, just come here and get in the water, and you can be a, you know, that, that's not what it's about. I mean, that's a part of the process, but it's what's going on underneath in your heart that drives that. And so you're saying, hey, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm visibly demonstrating the reality of what's happening here when I go down into the water. But if it's not happening in here, this means this ain't nothing. And this comes right out of the city of Pineville Tap <laughs> or wherever you were. Now, it's, it's super significant. 
if it's demonstrative of what's happening in here. So you got to focus on what's happening in here. Is this where I'm saying, hey, I want to become a follower of Christ? Now, do we always meet or exceed expectations? No. Look, we're human. Even Paul, the one who did all this writing, he later says that, man, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, sometimes I do those. You know, I remember whenever the leap test was going on, you heard me say this before. Y'all remember when you had kids and they had the leap test and they had these little things that said, failed to meet expectations, meeting expectations, and exceeding expectations. Let me ask you this. When it comes to your obedience to God, if there was a God leap exam today, and he was the one that stood over and he got to grade it. And if you were honest, if it was you know, not, not what you thought, but it was real, would you get failed to meet expectations? Are you meeting expectations? Are you exceeding? You know, the reality is it's probably not that black and white. There's going to be some areas, just like hitting that leap, or maybe in this subject you're not doing so well. But maybe in some of these other areas, you're meeting the expectations. You're, you're obeying God. I mean, you're listening to what he says. You're doing what he's saying. In some ways, maybe your faith is just really, it's, it's grown. And I mean, you're exceeding those expectations. This is the goal. This is what Christianity is about. This is the movement to becoming the person that God wants us to be because he expects us to obey. If your Christian life is devoid of the reality that God expects you to obey his word, you need to rethink that whole process. Maybe you got some of the wrong teaching. Maybe the experience wasn't everything that it ought to have been because this is the clear biblical testimony is that God expects children of his to obey. Now, he doesn't zap them when they don't. He doesn't hate them. He doesn't. He, I mean, he sometimes punishes them, just like you punish your kids. He disciplines them. He he, you know, causes them to have to conform. He loves them. He forgives them. But he does have much higher expectations than we place on ourselves, oftentimes. And leads us to number five truth that I see in this particular story in Ananias's experience helping Paul or Saul is that obedience which is what ultimately Ananias chooses he goes through the process he says but Lord and he offered up all those excuses but in the end what did he do it says Ananias went and he found Saul because obedience leads to victory if you're not having victory in your Christian life you need to park and think a lot about what is my level of obedience. Because obedience to God and His Word is the path that leads to victory. And Ananias chooses that path. In spite of the risk, in spite of the danger, in spite of all the excuses that he offered, I kind of like this about him. He really kind of became a do-it-anyway follower of Jesus. And, and I, I really thought a lot about that. Are you a do it anyway, even when it doesn't feel like you want to? Even when other people don't expect you to? Even when it would make sense not to? 
even when no one's watching, are you a do it anyway? Do the right thing anyway. Even if nobody can see you, even if nobody's going to know, even if everybody else is offering you. Because see, remember all those excuses? Man, you'll find plenty of people who in an effort to coddle you, in an effort to make you feel good about yourself and by definition feel good about themselves, they'll, give you, they'll just start reciting all the excuses of why you shouldn't do it. The problem is they're not helping you. Because God has the expectation that we obey because obedience is what leads us to victory. And sometimes we have to do it anyway, even when it doesn't feel like we want to. But here's the really good news I find. Is that when we're at a place where we do it anyway, even when we don't think it's right, because our thoughts may not be his thoughts, our feelings may not be in line, when we start doing it anyway it almost always comes around to where now I feel like doing it. I feel like going. Look, I'd be lying, it'd be lying if I told you every Sunday I wake up and I'm like, man, I'm excited to go to church today, Josh. Look, I'm excited, I'm excited. I'm pumped up to see everybody, shake everybody's hand, talk to everybody, you know, listen to all that. I mean, I don't, not every Sunday. But you know what I do? I do it anyway. Because I know that's what he called me to do. And I've found that invariably, when I've done that anyway, guess what happens? Where my attitude wasn't great maybe to start, by the time I get to see some people and I get here and I listen to the music, then, I'm, then my, my feelings catch up. And that's the case on so many things whenever we do the right thing and we obey anyway. That's what Ananias did. He did it even though it didn't make sense, even though other people may not have understood it. And as a result, what happens? Saul, persecutor, total against Christianity, stamping out people, murderer, conniver, he, come, he ends up being what? One of the greatest Christians to ever live. And I thought about that for a moment as I thought about how, how these Bible truths would apply to my life. I thought about this and I said, you know, what if, what if Ananias had said, nah, that's probably a good thing to do, <laughs> but I'm out. What happened to Stephen? Hmm. I'm out. This is what I believe. I believe there'd been a different story. And instead of there was a believer named Ananias in Damascus, guess what? There would have been a believer named something else, either in Damascus or somewhere else down the road. And it hit me like a ton of bricks because here was the deal. This is what I thought about. How many missed opportunities in my own life could there be a powerful story where there was like, hey, there was a believer in Pineville named Jason Huffman who did this and God could have done something fantastic. But because Jason was like, eh, list of excuses, lack of faith. Oh, so he got checked out man, because he's doing his thing. So now somebody else has to do it. Maybe... Maybe there's some victory that needs to happen in your world. And there needs to be a believer named you from there. 
And what it's going to take is obedience. You, to step up, trust God. Recognize that he's always working. Listen to him speak. Follow through and obey. And what happens when you do that is victory. That's what I want in my life. I hope that's what you want. As we think about this story, many different ways to look at it. Those were the five truths that I saw in that this week. God's working. Do you believe He's always working in your life? Do you believe God speaks to His people? How long has it been since you heard from Him? Maybe there's a lot of noise, background noise. Maybe there's something happening you're not listening. Maybe, maybe you need to change the channel. I don't know. You figure all that out. That's what i got to do. Figure out, hey, I know that this is a reality. How do I change to make this a reality in my life? Maybe we need to hear that God doesn't really accept excuses. We can offer them, and there's a ton of them, but it's not what he's looking for. Maybe we just need to have a reminder today that God expects us. The expectation is that we're going to do what we said we would do when we became a believer. Maybe we need to embrace the victory that is offered to us down the path of obedience. I don't really know how all of this applies to you exactly. This could could come in a number of forms. But a question you might ask yourself is this, how does God want me to apply today's truth? Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you're watching this online and something inside you is going, you know what, I've always held back because what other people might say, what other people might think. I would declare to you today, let today be the day that you say, you know what, I'm not making any more excuses. I'm going to give my life to Christ, and I'm going to try to live for God. I know I haven't always been what I should be, and guess what? Just because I get baptized and I become a Christian, it doesn't mean that I'm going to be everything that I should be. But I am going to make that decision today. Maybe there's some folks here who need to recommit their life to Christ. Maybe there's some things they need to let go of, bitterness, unforgiveness. I don't know. You know how to apply that. And if you don't, pray to God. He'll help you. And if you need me, I'll be available after the service. You can direct message me, call me, and we'll talk about it. I mean, I can't tell you that I can give you all the definitive answers, but I certainly will help you in the process of trying to figure out what God wants you to do in response to today's message. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are very grateful for all that you do for us. We're grateful to have the recorded story of Ananias who pushed through the excuses to obey you. Thankful that that led Saul to a dramatic conversion. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to apply these truths appropriately to our own life. Forgive us, Lord, for our excuses, for our lack of obedience. We're very grateful that in spite of our shortcomings, 
you forgive us and offer us a fresh start through your son Jesus Christ in whose name we pray.